Well, good morning to you. Um, I think most of you know, but some of you don't know maybe that Josie had her baby Saturday, 530 in the morning. So, of course, yeah, is that, as it is, that's right. There's a pattern there. So um, nine pounds, two ounces. We grow them big and um, 22 inches long. So uh, we're thankful baby and mom are okay. Uh, the baby's name is Samuel Robert. And uh, the one thing to pray about there is his blood sugar is a little low. Uh, so they're not going to release him yet until it gets up to a certain level. So pray about that. But uh, we're so thankful uh, to God for this, this gift and that she's doing great. We're not the only family in the church that has a baby. Uh, Brian and Christy Quinn, Mickey Quinn's uh, uh, son. Uh, had a baby. Uh, they had their baby Monday, and that's Michelle Taylor. And but she's a lot littler. She's she was born premature, so we need to keep her in prayer. She's still in the NICU unit in St. John's. She was born, I think, uh, around five pounds, um, and she's still she has jaundice, and she's uh, having trouble uh, feeding. So we need to keep them in prayer. So that's Michelle Taylor Quinn. So let's keep them in, in, in our minds and in, in our prayers. So, uh, I don't know a good transition into the sermon, uh, <laughs> other than it puts things in perspective. Import, what are the important things of life, you know? And when you witness the birth of a baby, it, it kind of puts things in perspective. And that's what Jesus wants us to have when it comes to this matter of money. So, look at Mark chapter, nine, uh, Mark chapter 10, uh, or page 10 in your bulletin. Jesus warns about wealth. This is a familiar story of the rich young ruler. We're told in the parallel passages in Matthew and Luke that he was a rich young ruler. Um, Matthew chapter 19, Luke 18. Here we just know that he is he's wealthy. He, he has everything that the world says you need to have, therefore, uh, to be happy and successful. He has great possessions, the text says. He is a ruler, which means that he was a, a leader maybe in the Jewish synagogue, perhaps even in the Jewish Sanhedrin, which was kind of the Supreme Court of Judaism. So he had a position of authority and he was young. And so he had everything that this world says you need to have in order to be fulfilled. Youth, you can find the eternal fountain of youth, you're going to be happy. Money, authority, status, power. And yet, he's not fulfilled. He's not completely satisfied. He's a leaky bucket. He's put things in, but they're still in emptiness. And we know that because he comes to Jesus and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? Now, he's experienced the good things of life, but it still hasn't satisfied. So he wants to know about eternal life. There is a longing in our hearts for God that this world cannot satisfy. Things, material, substance cannot satisfy. The infinite, the finite things cannot satisfy. The infinite longing that we have for God. To know God, to have a relationship with Him that endures forever. His great love and goodness poured into our lives here and forever. That's what we long for. 
And that's what this young man senses. His need for God. And this need for God cannot be satisfied by material things. So it's good for us to be reminded of that in this world that oftentimes pushes us to look for satisfaction in the here and now. To get our best life now. And Jesus is saying you need to have an eternal perspective on life. You're not going to be satisfied ultimately in this life. You need God. I know somebody who is diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. He worked in wealth. He worked in investments. He advised people on investments. Right after he got the diagnosis, um, he went back to work. He was able to work. But he said his clients, of course, would still call him and he still had to respond to their needs. But as they're on the phone with him, worried about their investments and the ups and downs of the stock market, he just wanted to shout into the phone, it's not that important. Because he had a new perspective on his own finitude, his own mortality, and on eternal things. And that's what Jesus wants us to have when it comes to this matter of wealth. The rich young ruler who has everything doesn't have this. He doesn't have eternal life. And he thinks that it's going to come through doing something. And he's wrong about that. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's what Jesus is going to try to teach him here. But he has this dialogue with the rich young ruler. And it's so brilliant the way Jesus does this. Uh, In verse 18, Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus isn't denying that he is God. Jesus isn't denying that he is good. Jesus, of course, is God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He is pure goodness. But he's making this rich young ruler think here that the ultimate goodness is found only in God. So if you're calling me good, do you really know at the deepest level who you're calling me? Uh, That's what he wants to get this young man to understand. He wants him to confront the reality that he needs to put his ultimate faith and trust in him, in Jesus Christ, because he is God's son, God's Messiah, God incarnate. But then he goes and he lists some commandments, not all of them, but some of these commandments. And this is where the brilliance comes in. He's very selective about about the commandments he calls this young man's attention to. He says, you know the commandments. Now listen to these and think about what he leaves out. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. So that has to do with our duties towards our neighbors, our love of our neighbor. But what has he just left out? What are some of the commandments he left out? The top, the top ones, right? Our duty, our love of God. Uh, do not have any other gods but me. Number one, the foundational one. And number two, do not make any idols, graven images. Those are the two big ones that he, he hasn't dealt with our duty towards God. He's talked about your duty towards man. And so he wants to, to bring this young man to confront the reality that God is not first in his life. He has some idols. He has an idol, which is well. Um, and he said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Okay, I've fulfilled my duty to man, so I want my shares now of this inheritance of eternal life. Where do I sign off? 
But it's just so brilliant what Jesus does. You know, when I was a kid, a little boy, my, my mom would say, Benjamin, I have to draw a picture for you to get you to understand what I'm asking you to do. Not just go clean your room, but go clean the G.I. Joe toys in the corner of the room. Otherwise, I can come back and say, well, I tried. I did my best. You know, I could wiggle out. But Jesus is not going to give this young man any wiggle room. He gets very specific here about where he's not fulfilling the law. Okay, you've, you've fulfilled everything. You lack one thing, though. I, I like what Jesus, it says here in Mark that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. This is somebody that's going to reject him, but he still loves him. Lesson for the church. There are people who are going to reject Jesus who are still called to be like Jesus and love them. But Jesus doesn't lower his standards. You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the same, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You lack one thing. And the one thing that he lacked was to put God first in his life. For this young man, wealth was his God's substitute. Possessions and stuff and the status that came along with it was his idol. And he was putting his identity, his security in these things and not in God. And when we do that, we've sinned. And uh, we've broken the law. Jesus made it clear in his teaching that we can't serve two masters. And that's why wealth is a spirit. Now, hear me, it's not that wealth in and of itself is wrong. It is the love of money, the Bible teaches. It is putting wealth and the status and the power that comes along with it in the position of God that is wrong. But you can't serve two masters. You can't love wealth and God at the same time. And Jesus makes that very clear. So he says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and serve the uh, and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, you see, God and money. It's not, he's not saying you can't have money. You have to have money to live. But you can't serve it. Money can't be your master. Now, there are cases and we see in the New Testament, and this is one where Jesus calls somebody to complete renunciation of wealth. And we all ought to be willing to go there if Jesus calls us there. Those he wants to bring into his intimate circle of disciples, he calls them in the New Testament to that kind of radical trust and obedience to him. He, he's, he's starting a movement here with a band of disciples, of people who need to be radically committed and devoted to him and willing to give everything. And all of us should be willing to give everything to Christ. But not all of us have this specific call to renounce it all and give it to the poor. Okay? Jesus had supporters who were wealthy and they supported him out of their substance. But in some cases, like this man who had an idol, he said, I want you to smash it. If you really have your trust in God and you really understand who I am, take away this idol and put me first in your life. You know, I read recently an article by a man named Minaj uh, Raithatha. He, he's, uh, I probably didn't pronounce that right. He's born of Indian descent, but he's a British citizen. And I read this article about him and he was talking about his conversion. And he said, 
for the longest time, wealth and the status that came with it was his God. He wrote, in his 20s, he wrote a play that won some international awards. It won like the Edinburgh Prize for playwrights. And then after that, he got some publicity, of course, and offers to do more writing. And then he wrote a show that won an Emmy Award. He was flown to New York and he received an Emmy. And so he's getting all this status and fame. And he says in there, it wasn't really satisfying him. He just wanted more and more and more. His big break came, he said, when a developer in London came to him and he said, now I had a little money. And this developer said, would you like to invest in some housing? There was a place in London that was growing and um, it was up and coming. And he said, you can make a lot of money in, in this area. And so Minaj said, yes, uh, I, I want to do that. And then he says in there, um, he says, I was addicted to risk taking and success. Well, there's a price to pay. Every idol you serve extracts a price. And the price was his family, he says. He goes on and he talks about it. He says uh, that his wife bore the brunt of his addiction. He writes, I was spending more time away from home, eating at expensive restaurants, spending thousands on clients, and ultimately I ended up cheating on my wife. This is where the love of money can lead. This is where greed can lead. It can lead us to compromise on our principles. Again, let me quote from Paul in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, this greed for more, Paul says that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So back to the story of this man named Manoj. He says, it wasn't until the housing market crashed that I started to wake up and his son, his two-year-old son, became critically ill, ended up in the hospital in a coma, and the doctor says he's not getting out. But he had some friends who were believers. He had some friends who were Christians who said, we'll stay with you. We'll pray for your son. They showed him the love of Christ. They began praying for his son. And his son was miraculously healed. And the doctor said, this is inexplicable. We can't explain what happened here. And that began to turn his mind to Christ. And he came to the cross. And now he still has his career, but he also leads evangelistic teams back into India his homeland, and gives, uh, gives testimony to what Christ has done. So he's no longer chasing after the world's success. He's chasing after Jesus. Well, that's how one story turns out with a rich young person. But unfortunately, in this case, the rich young ruler can't do it. He goes away sorrowful because he had great possessions. You know what faith is? You know what faith is? This is a good definition of faith. This is an acrostic. And this is true for every disciple of Jesus Christ. We all have idols in our life and we're all tempted to put our trust in our identity in something other than Christ. Whether it's money or success or status or athletic ability or for teenagers, maybe popularity at school, whatever. We're all tempted to make a substitute for God. Faith is this. It's an acrostic. Forsaking all. I trust him. Forsaking everything else, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him alone. And Jesus is calling this rich young ruler and he's calling all of us to put our ultimate trust in him. Our trust for eternal life, 
our trust for ultimate security, our trust for ultimate happiness in the eternal God. We've been made for God and we find satisfaction ultimately in Him alone. Peter, after Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth, not impossible for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's obviously hyperbole to make a point. It has nothing to do with gates going into Jerusalem. Some of you have heard that explanation that there was a gate called the camel gate. No, he's just using this kind of humorous imagery. He's talking about a real needle here. He's saying that is not possible with humans, with man. And the disciples were exceedingly astonished. This is the second time that they expressed astonishment, amazement at this teaching because in their mind, wealth automatically means that God has blessed you. Now, that is one strand of Old Testament teaching. But, that's not, but Jesus is saying, yes, but there's dangers here. And wealth doesn't automatically mean God has blessed you. It can be, and it is, spiritually dangerous. You have to know how to handle this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. And then Peter blurts out. I love Peter. He has the spiritual gift of blurting things out. (laughs) Things that a lot of us think. And he just says it. Okay, this young man can't do it, but Lord, we've done it. (laughs) We've left everything to follow you. And then Jesus gives this great promise. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Lots of Christians today are in exactly that position, aren't they? We hear about it all the time. Our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're called to trust Christ for everything. And now we see in America, there are people who confront a gunman and they ask him, are you Christian? And he'll put a gun to their head if they say yes. Will they trust Christ with their very life? That's the call here. Trust Christ for everything. Even if it means giving everything up. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. I think that's a reference to when you come into the family of Christ, some people might have to leave their natural family and their natural home, but they get a new home and a new family. But, he says, did you see that? With persecutions. But then, in the age to come, you're going to get the reward. Eternal life. You know, this raises a question, this teaching raises a series of questions that I've been thinking about. Is, how much am I really investing in things that matter? Am I investing in the kingdom of God? Investing in people? Am I greedy for more money? Or am I eager to minister to the lost and the hurting? Have I really put Christ first? Have I forsaken everything for Him? To trust in Him? Am I living in light of eternity? You know what? Jesus Christ did what this rich young ruler didn't do. This rich young ruler didn't give up everything. Jesus did. For our sake. He who was rich, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, became poor for us. That we who are spiritually poor might become rich and inherit eternal life. So when we know that Jesus has done that, when His act of love 
captures our hearts and minds and imagination, then we can be willing to do what this rich young ruler didn't do. We can be, say, we can be willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll lay it down. I'll lay down the idols in my life, whatever they may be. And we'll invest in the things that really matter. So God, help us to do that. Let me close with this story. Ann Diller tells of the story of the... uh, I'm just going to read this here. Ann Diller tells of the ill-fated Franklin expedition to the Arctic in 1845. You know this story? The Franklin expedition to the Arctic Circle was a turning point because of all the failures that were involved in this expedition. Well-publicized failures. The preparations for this exploration were more suitable for an officer's club than the frigid Arctic Circle. The explorers made room on their ships for a library, a large library. They took an organ. They took china place settings, cut glass wine goblets, sterling silver, but they didn't take extra coal for their steaming. Group of men who, when they realized that the supplies were running low, went out to search for help. And search parties for the bodies of these men um, discovered some surprising things. One skeleton had on his fine blue uniform, edged with silk braiding, hardly a match for the bitter Arctic wind. Another person who died took, as he was going out to search, help, took along his silver flatware. And the question is, what must have he been thinking to take silver sterling tableware in search of help and food? One can't imagine that any of these sailors would have said as they neared death, I wish I had more silver. And here's the point, brothers and sisters, our hanging on to things that are ultimately useless looks no less foolish in the eyes of eternity. Many cannot think of life without the things they cherish. They're in danger of losing the only life that really matters. Life eternal. Are we investing? Are we continuing to invest in the things that matter? Our relationship with God, other people, to win them to Christ, to invest in the lives of other people for the glory of God. Let's maintain that focus. Let's pray.